What's up, everyone? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Three Things Podcast. The baby hiatus is over. If you're new to this podcast and you didn't know that my wife was pregnant, um, then I guess I've just been on hiatus. But um, baby Sawyer is now in the picture, so I took a couple weeks off just to kind of adjust to dad life. But I'm back. I know you missed me. This week, we've got Andrew Gale. He's a buddy of mine. He's also the lead assistant coach for New Hampton Prep Basketball um, over in, I believe it's Hampton, New Hampshire. He'll do a better job of explaining where it is. But him and I had a great conversation uh, the other day about just coaching in general and kind of how the two worlds, whether it be fitness or sport coaching, kind of combine. And, and we share a lot of the same philosophies. It's a great great, great conversation. I look forward to you all hearing it. uh, And I look forward to delivering more three things, podcasts and written content in the future. um, Now that the baby hiatus is over, our mind's right. The baby's here, ready to go. Enjoy the episode. My name's Andrew Gale. I am working at uh, New Hampton Prep School. I work as a uh, basketball coach and math teacher. Uh, it's in New Hampshire, uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit south of Tilton. Um, I got there obviously coming from the University of Vermont, being the grad assistant, and then making the step up uh, to the prep school level. So nice. Nice. So for those tuning in the last couple episodes, this is uh, the first one post baby. So I got to knock a little bit of the rust off. Um, I think I ended on a, on a hot streak. I compared myself to Oprah when it comes to interviews. So I don't know if, if, uh, if I'm going to quite have my Oprah, like I'm going to have to maybe like step down. Maybe I'm more like, uh, um, I'm trying to think of someone from like ESPN. Maybe I'll be like a Stuart Scott. Yeah. Um, also go. high praise there. Um, yeah. or Van Pelt or something like that. But, oh, Scott uh, Van Pelt, that's big time. You gotta yeah, shave your I mean, head if you're gonna do that one. <laughs> I got the glasses. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so the first thing I want to talk about, and this is you talked, you actually said this the other day when we were hanging out, and I thought it was really relevant and kind of interesting, where you talked about how like you've seen the different levels, whether mm-hmm. it be working with high school kids now, um, seeing like the division one, like, and I don't want to say like it's division one, but like low level division one, which in comparison, like UVM might be um, compared to some of the places you've seen them play, like in Cameron stadium playing Duke um, you know, like some of the high end, like guys that are going to go to the NBA. Um, And you've said like, like you can kind of recognize um, talent or you can recognize features. Can you talk a little bit about kind of like, like that evolution of, of just kind of like your own eyeball test and how that's, how that's kind of actually relevant yeah, for, for sure. I think the biggest, so I'm going to go way back and actually tell you when I realized I wasn't very good. Cause I think that was the first time uh, that I realized that what I've seen in basketball isn't, you know, what the picture that I had in my head. So when I was a freshman in high school, I was at a basketball camp with a few friends and, you know, obviously thinking you're pretty good at that age. Um, you're playing at the high school level. Um, you grow up thinking that, you know, what you see in real life basketball is exactly what it's like across the whole country. And we went up into uh, this, um, this tournament and we were playing and 
we were uh, in warm-up lines, and my buddy, I was playing my buddy's team, and I look across, and this kid dunked on my buddy in, in layup lines. Like, my buddy's waiting there to get a rebound. It's like hitting the rim a couple times, and this guy jumps in, and he just windmills on our, on our friend, like puts him on a poster in the warm-ups. And I'm sitting there like, holy shit. I can't even touch the rim. Like, I'm a, you know, 6'2 kid who can barely get off the floor, and I'm thinking I'm hot shit, and this kid comes down and dunks on my friend in the layup lines. And come to find out, I was like, oh, this kid's probably a high major kid. He's probably playing high level. Uh, he's playing at the University of Maine, who's the worst team in the America East, which is one of the lower lower leagues um, in the country. And I'm sitting there like, that kid's playing at U Maine? That's insane. Um, so that's when I realized I wasn't very good. And then progressively, uh, progressing through high school, um, you know, I go to UVM games a lot. And you don't really see it in games because everybody on the court is – you know, just as talented as the team that they're playing. And then you end up, you know, I ended up becoming a manager at the University of Vermont when I was a junior and watching the speed in practice was like not even comparable. Like my first year I was at the University of Vermont, like I watched their practices and workouts and I was sitting there playing catch up the entire time. Everything moves faster. These guys move faster. What you think is an open shot isn't an open shot because these guys are superior athletes. Like you're not playing with D3 guys and D2 guys and D1 guys on the same court. You're playing with all high-level Division One players. Um, so that was a big wake-up. And then going back to your point, um, when we were playing higher-level talent, I just remember uh, even last night I was watching the Hawks game. And DeAndre Bembry, who plays for the Hawks now, comes off the bench. He's a pretty good role player for them. Like, I coached against him twice when I was at the University of Vermont. And when we played him, the first time at Patrick and then the next time when we went to their gym, he was unbelievable. And sitting in the stands, even when you're separated from a couple of rows, you may not be able to see it right away. But when you're sitting on the floor, he's standing right in front of you, and he's torching these guys that you watch and you coach for you know however long we do it and you're like this guy is just picking us apart like he is exponentially better than the guys that we have and and that's why he's in the in the nba so even when i'm sitting there at uvm i could be like oh this kid's this kid's gonna be a pro uh look at this kid he's like dominating high level talent he's that much quicker than everybody else he's that much longer than everybody else his basketball iq is that much higher than everybody else's and it may, it took me a while to pick up on that, but now it's like watching the NBA. It's crazy. Like I coach against that guy, and like I can see why he's at that level. So I yeah. think that's kind of the biggest thing that I've noticed. So how does that conversation happen now at New Hampton when you you've got these guys? And New Hampton's obviously, you know, one of the more elite prep school, um, you know, especially on the East Coast. Um, you know, kids going there with hopes of playing like high major. And you were saying you had like nine Division One guys on your roster and. And, you know, like, but like, where does that conversation start when you get a kid that comes on campus and he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And whether you're like, Ooh, you, okay, maybe you can, or you can kind of look at a guy and you're like, yeah, you can go there and you kind of have to foster and kind of maybe protect the kid from himself. Like, where does that conversation start when you've got a young kid and you kind of have to maybe, you know, keep them protected from themselves or, or knock them down a few pegs and say, Hey, you got to work for it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because, to be honest, that's what we deal with a lot in the sense that um, we recruit kids who are playing normally public high school level basketball, 
Um, so they're the best player on their team and they think that they can, you know, they're going to come in and do the same thing that they did at their high school when they're not playing the teams and the caliber of players that we play in our league. So usually the conversation is, um, you know, I always don't mean it disrespectfully. I always say, Hey, like, I don't think you understand what it takes to be as good as you think you can be. And that's usually how the conversation starts is don't ever expect that because you're at New Hampton and you put on this Jersey, um, that all these great things are going to happen to you and you're going to play division one basketball because nothing is guaranteed. Um, so that's usually where I start the conversation. And then we say, you know, uh, do you know who plays at that level? Have you ever seen a game at that level? Uh, do you know how hard they have to work to get to that level? Cause they would, you know, I share my experience at the university of Vermont and they're like, okay, that sounds like a lot of work. And I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of work. And they're a top mid-major program in the country. Like they're not even, you know, they're not playing in the big 10. They're not playing in the ACC. They're not, you know, big 12. They're not playing in all these leagues. Like, so I think it's kind of a shock too. And, and we just played every year at the beginning of the year, we play at, um, the um, national prep showcase and we have a preseason that's three weeks long. Guys are going at it. We play against each other all the time. They get comfortable seeing these players. A lot of these guys play on the same AAU teams in the past. So they think that they're really good. And then we go out and play a team. We played Hargrave this past weekend and you know, they're from Virginia and a lot of these guys don't know the players that they're playing and they come out and they're just as good, if not better than we are. Um, and the, I think the kids then realize, oh shit, like we're playing dudes from across the country who are just as good, if not better than me. And a lot of the times what we try to preach is, you know, like we don't care about rankings in our program. You know, we don't care if you're the first best player in the country or you're the hundredth best player in the country. But what we do say is you got to go out and be everybody that's ranked above you. If you want to achieve the goals that you want to be. And if you want to be the number one player in the country, you got to prove all the evaluators that there's 99 dudes ranked ahead of you. If you're the hundred best player, um, that you're actually better than those guys. So that's usually how, how those kind of conversations go and how I like to approach it with the kids that come to New Hampton. Yeah. What, and this is something that I, I mean, I, so I see the other half. So people who are listening to this, I work at a Parisi speed school. We work with a lot of athletes. Um, we're in Northern Vermont and we see some pretty good athletes. We have some division one athletes. We, we've had some athletes that come over from Lake Placid at the Olympic level. So we kind of see the different tiers of like someone who is training for the Olympics and like what, how that athlete moves and what they look like. And that's why I was kind of big on the eyeball test. Um, because they, I honestly think like if once you see someone at a high level move and perform, it sets a pretty good standard of what someone who might not be at that level looks like um, to division one kids, division two kids, division three kids, and then high level prep school kids, which kind of fall somewhere in between those, those levels. They tend to be just a little bit younger. Um, right. And, you know, so I guess my question for you now is at what point can you be a better technician than your athleticism? Um, like, cause I, well, for example, I'll get a kid at, you know, in the, in the weight room. Um, and like, they just, they move really well, like they're quick learners. And maybe those are like your high IQ guys where you're teaching them something. You really only have to say it once and they've, they've got it. And you're like, wow, this kid's pretty smart. Like you, you're probably pretty good at your sport because you're smart. And then we'll get kids that come in and, and there's some, I'll, I'll, I won't say names, but there's this one, one kid I had who went to the university of Vermont. I believe you coached him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and like the kid, like couldn't, you know, could not 
do a chin up, could not do a push up, could not, didn't know, and did, couldn't tell right from left, but it seemed like when he was moving, but you put a ball in this kid's hand and it's like, holy smokes. Um, so from a coach's perspective, if you've got a guy who's just athletically, like you're like, wow, this is, this is an impressive dude, but maybe is a liability technical wise or, or vice mm-hmm. versa. You've got the guy that's a super technician and is just dumb smart. Like, is, is there like a difference to those kids or, or do they still have the same kind of ceiling? It just comes from a different area. I don't, it's not really a question, but I'm just kind of curious of your, your standpoint on, on that as far as actual skill goes versus like weight room, raw athleticism type development. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest key, especially um, when you get to the next level, if you're, you know, that's what we try to tell the kids at, at prep school is okay. We're here to prepare you for college. So back to your point, like, college coaches have contracts on the line. It's great if you're an athlete, but if you can't run a play and you can't take coaching and they have to spend multiple hours to get you prepared for a game and you're better than, let's say physically gifted, you're better than the guy that's behind you, but he knows the plays. The coach only has to say it once. The coach then develops trust in that kid, the technician rather than the athlete. So he can be like, you know, my contract's on the line. Like, we need to win games this year to make sure that I can keep my job as the head coach at this program or assistant coach at this program. Like, in those kind of situations, if coaches aren't willing to take a risk, like, they're going to go with the dude that they trust more. Um, and even I see that at our level is and, – and don't get, don't get it twisted. My job's not on the line. We're not, we're not playing, you know, to go undefeated and I'll, I'll get fired if you don't win games. Um, but when we we just trust the kids that we have to say say it to them once, and I think kids sometimes too, you know, if you're coaching somebody, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, when you're coaching a team, and you call somebody out for a mistake, if you're not the guy that's making the mistake, you should listen to whatever the coach is saying, because then if you turn around and make the same mistake that they just corrected for a kid and you think that you're off the hook because, oh, I made the mistake for the first time. They were correcting that guy. They, they can correct me on it now. Like, that's not how it works. You know, like, if I'm correcting somebody because their closeout's not right, like they're allowing somebody to drive middle. And that's, you know, our athlete. And then the, the guy on the other side does the exact same thing. I'm going to want to rip my hair up. Like, I just, I literally just said that to this kid over here. Why are you making the same mistake? And I think sometimes with the kids that tend to be more athletic, um, you know, they rely on their abilities rather than uh, technique and fundamentals and breaking themselves down. So I, it's, it's a toss up. Cause I mean, obviously in games, you got to roll with guys sometimes who are just more physically gifted and you're going to be like, this is, these are our X factors. If they can put it together mentally, they have the body to do this. And um you know, you hear that a lot in college basketball evaluation is uh, if this kid was two inches higher or two inches taller, he would go to a, a division one school. Like we had a kid last year who's six, three shot 40, 45% from three, like high level shooter could rebound well for his position, but he was too small to be a three. So he's playing division two basketball instead of division one, but he's talented enough to play division one. So it's like a double-edged sword. Um, it's, it's, um, it can work in your favor either way. I, I love that point you made up you just brought up there as far as like coaching goes and 
it's funny how you like, whether you coach in one realm or another, like if you're explaining something to one kid and, and the other kids aren't listening or the other people aren't listening, like talk about a, a judge of character, you know, like the high right. character kids are probably like glued to every word you say, regardless of who you're talking to. Whereas, you know, some of the other kids that maybe lack in that department are kind of zoned out. Um, and that's why I never really like even realized that, but a, thinking about it as you're talking about it, like that's that's such a high character move that i i you know definitely want to pay attention to now more on my and, yeah and uh, sorry to cut you off i think too like a lot of kids think you know i preach a lot during practice because our head coach does an awesome job he's he's a he's an absolute stud um but what i try to do is try to tell the guys i always scream like give your best effort and for athletes in general effort doesn't always mean it means diving on the loose ball or pushing extra hard um but it also means are you mentally tough enough to stop listen to a coach put in the effort to develop or to digest what they're saying and then put that into action that is just as much effort as diving on a loose ball fighting through a screen sprinting back on defense like all of that is mentally tough are you mentally tough enough to put your body on the line for your teammates as well as you know are you mentally tough enough to know our principles so that if somebody gets beat you can help the defender and help the team be the best that you can be that's where mental toughness starts yep. doing all those little things every single time yeah and everybody and everybody they need to realize like everybody on a basketball team has a role you know whether you're the, the best guy on the team or you're the 14th guy on the roster like you're just as important to the success if you are on the end of the bench as you are if you're the, if you're the top guy. Um, you know, if, if you push hard in practice and you play your hardest and you challenge the guys that are ahead of you, not only are you getting yourself better, but you're making them better, you're making the team better, you're going to be more successful. And I think a lot of kids um, – I mean, I didn't know that when I was in high school. And, you know, I'm sure I was a prima donna at points when I was playing basketball, but, like – now turning around and if you can find kids that are mature enough to understand that and accept that, then that's when you see a lot of teams become super successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's perspective, man. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Exactly. So the, the last question I've got for you before we get into a little bit of a speed round, I don't know if you've, you probably have never listened to a three things podcast, which I won't hold against you, but the, no, speed, I have. Is, the I have. speed round's the best part. So yes. it's new within the last like three episodes, but uh, I don't want to overshadow the last question. Um, kind of diving into your your history on different teams, whether it was the GA position at UVM, your mm -hmm. role with New Hampton last year, your role in New Hampton this year, and just your previous coaching experience. Talk to me a little bit about successful coaching staffs. So you've been on, you know, I don't know how many different coaching staffs, whether there be a turnover or, you know, you're on the same staff this year to next year and there's a new piece or you're the new piece. Right. What are some consistent things that you've seen on coaching staffs that equal high level of success outside of the players, like just the dudes in the suits on the bench. Right. What are some things that similarities you've noticed um, that have kind of allowed for coaching staffs to really jive well, or if there's something on the flip side, like, you know, things that have kind of been detrimental or kind of make things difficult. What are those? Yeah. So I'm going to start with the university of Vermont because I spent the most time there. Um, and I can really tell you a great, you know, a great story about that is just, so I was there for four years, two years as a manager, two years as a GA. And I think the thing that really separated our staff and made us as great as we were, was we were willing to work just as hard, if not harder than the players were. 
And I think players sometimes forget that because coaches aren't out there running around doing drills. And, you know, I think it's hard for players to, you know, if I'm walking around, I'm a six, four, six, four guy. I can't touch the rim. If I tell a kid, go, go run up, grab that ball and dunk it as hard as you can. Like, how do I then persuade them to listen to me when I say that? Because I can't go out and do that. Like a lot of the things that I tell kids to do on the basketball court, I could never do. Um, so we had a good balance of ex players who played at the college level. And we had a good balance of guys who maybe didn't play at the college level, but had a lot of experience um, with coaching or being a manager or manipulating X's and O's. So being able to establish the trust with the players that we know what we're talking about was huge, but that came because we did a lot of work. And I'll say this, that we worked just as hard as the players did. Like we were up watching film. We're in the office early. Um, we're doing our homework. We're looking at all the stats. We're breaking down each individual player, seeing what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, how do we manipulate our game plan to make sure that our, our guys are in the best situation to be successful as possible? Um, you know, you hear a lot about that with the whole Tom Brady, Bill Belichick thing is, well, is Tom Brady who he is because of Bill Belichick or is Bill Belichick, uh, is he who he is because of Tom Brady? It's, it's because both of them work so well together. And I think when we found success at the University of Vermont, there was that great balance. Um, we put in the work and the kids respected the work and they came in and wanted to be working just as hard as we did. Um, so like whether that was coming in to get extra film or that kind of stuff. But the staff, when I was at UVM, we were, you know, I worked, you know, three Thanksgivings in a row putting together film to make sure we're ready for our next opponent. Um, you know, we don't spend a whole lot of time with our families. You know, you're dedicating your life to the game and showing the, that your players that you're, you know, we're all in. We want this just as bad as you do. And I think the hardest part is I was there for four years. The first three years, um, we never won a championship. Like we had a heartbreaking loss my third year at Stony Brook. Uh, against Jamil Warney made, you know, he had 40 something points, the best player in our league. Um, and the six months that I, we had just busted our ass for gone in the matter of 90 seconds, it was all gone. And, you know, we were playing in the CBI instead of the NCAA and then going the next year and actually winning it, coming back from being down against Albany in the championship game um, made everything worth it. And, you know, the four years prior, all the work that you put in and, and all that made that win that much special, much more special. And it was a testament to the guys who were there the entire time and the coaching staff. Like the, we worked so hard to get that. And when we got it, it was the greatest feeling in the world. And I think when you get that buy-in from both sides, that's where you can see success. Um, and on the flip side, so now going into New Hampton, last year we had a really new team, really young team. We only returned one kid from the year prior. Um, and we really struggled at the beginning of the year. You know, we were one and eight to start the, start the season. Um, a lot of teams wrote us off. Um, we ended up finishing uh, on a 15 and eight run, knocked off Brewster on their home court in the playoffs. Um, made it to the championship game in our league and we're about four or five plays away from being champions. Um, and then taking that experience and putting it into this year's team. Now that I've elevated my position at New Hampton, it's great to have both of those experiences. One where you start one in eight 
and you have to work your way and you grind all the way up to the championship game compared to where you're constantly good at the university of Vermont. And, you know, all four years I was there, you win 20 games. Um, and it was a great experience to see both sides of it. Like I never experienced anything at the university of Vermont, uh, that was quite like going one and eight at New Hampton. Um, so it was a different type of test, but really I could apply the same stuff at the university of Vermont that I could at New Hampton. And, and hopefully, you know, that continues to grow into this year. Um, and hopefully our team can be more successful than last. Nice. Yeah. I love that. I just think that, um, you know, as speaking like as a guy who works with a staff of, of four others, you know, I always hearing how other people kind of gel or mesh or like leadership qualities, I think is really interesting because, you know, like if you're with a team and I think most personal trainers work independently, but should you be on a staff where you have one cohesive um, you know, end result. I think that it's always interesting to hear how other people do it outside of, of pure fitness. Um, yeah. And a lot of it too, is just like, are you willing to put in the time? I left this out, but at the university of Vermont, like when we were in season, we were putting in the time to hang out with each other and yeah. get to know each other. And it's like, I knew all the other assistants, uh, wives and family members, and you develop this connection with these, with these guys. And it's almost like you become more of a team then you're the team with your players on it. And then you get to know those guys and their families. So putting in that extra time when the season's not going on and then developing that, that trust during that period and then developing the trust during the season. And then when it's, you know, it's not crunching time at the end of the year, when you need to win something, you're on the same page, you trust each other to get your job done. You know, each other are going to hold each other accountable and make sure that you're performing at peak performance at the very end when you need it. Nice. Nice. Okay. It's speed round time. Let's do it. So these answers can be as short or as long as you'd like, um, or, you know, one word or, or whatever. Okay. You ready? This is, yeah. the best. This is literally the best part. So like people, right. I'm sure, I don't know this for a fact. I'm sure people just jumped like the last like five, 10 minutes just to hear the speed round. It's just to hear this part. Okay. Yeah, putting the pressure on. I got to keep it short. I'm talking too long. That's fine. No, that's <laughs> trust me. I want, I'd rather you talk than me talk. Uh, so what, as a player, as a player or a coach, what is the hardest arena or the hardest place you've ever gone to play? Ooh. I will say this. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. I think uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse, Butler's Stadium was unbelievable. The crowd was great. Uh, hard atmosphere to play in. The refs are pro-Butler all the time. It was, it, it was probably – that was probably the best experience I had on the road for sure. Nice. Yeah. Um, what is harder cutting a player or talking to a crazy, uh, prep school parent, harder conversation, harder conversation. I would say, uh, the parent, cause usually the parent, thinks that, I'm going <laughs> to say the parent, usually the, parent the parents, <laughs> usually, usually the parent, uh, has a higher, uh, view of their child than I do. So usually cutting the kid isn't as hard. It's when you cut the kid and you know the phone calls come in a little bit later. Yeah, You've got to yeah. for that one. yeah that's probably the harder one. <laughs> Love it. Anyone who uh, works in like any youth sports, they know that they can feel for the parent conversation for sure. Um, what was the, and I don't know, you can pass on this question if you want. What was the worst part about being a GA at the division one level or manager, either one? And oh, okay. by worst part, I mean like whose laundry were you washing? I was watching everybody's laundry. 
like I did a lot of shit that a lot of people don't know. Like that's the thing. People don't know all the work that you have to put in. Like I think my, within the first two weeks that I was at UVM, there was a player uh, who was standing in the corner uh, during practice and we were running really hard all day and he just puked on the floor. Like he made no attempt to get off the court, nothing, just puked on the floor, kept playing. And I had to clean it up. And I just remember looking at him like, what the hell? Like you, there, there's a trash can right there. Like you can't just walk over to the trash can. You made no attempt to get off the court. You just puked everywhere because you knew I was going to pick it up. Um, but probably picking up blood, uh, vomit, doing laundry. Those are probably the three worst things. Oh, oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Oh yeah. What's oh, your yeah. best networking advice? Ooh, I would say getting outside your comfort zone um, and this is actually something, the advice I'm giving to you is something that I should actually do a better job of is get outside your comfort zone. Um, be willing to go to events and hang out with new people. So what I tend to do is I tend to go to these recruiting events and I'll hang out with the same coaches that I've already developed a relationship with, um, instead of going out and trying to, um, meet new guys. And I think that that's the best thing that's happened to me at the prep school level is we have all these coaches come into the gym and you're almost kind of forced to talk to them. So I'm continuing to get outside my comfort zone and, and develop those relationships. But the best advice I can be is make yourself feel so uncomfortable that you want to like crawl out of your skin. That's yeah. probably the best advice I could give. What is, um, what is the worst thing you've, and this isn't like, I don't mean this to be like an NCAA violation thing, but in dealing with kids, coaches, parents, like what is your weirdest recruiting story? Weirdest recruiting story. I had, I, I can give you the funniest one. We had a kid. So we had two kids up on a visit when I was at the university of Vermont and we were having practice and the kid's mom was sitting in the corner of the gym and she passed out. Like she was sitting in her chair, leaning back, mouth open. She was completely knocked out. And w as a staff, we're trying to <laughs> trying to run a practice and like get these kids through drills. And there's this kid's mother, like on, on the verge of snoring, just sitting in the corner. And we're like, "Wow, does this kid want to be here? Like, does the mom even want to be here? Like, is this something that she's even interested in?" <laughs> and she's, I was just that was the most bizarre one I think I've ever had to deal with. It's like the opposite of like the crazy parent phone calls, like the mom that comes and just takes a nap in the corner. Yeah. And you're kind of like, you look at the kid and you're kind of like, is, is this normal? Does she normally do this? Is she like, what's going on? And the kid's like, no, like I really want to be here, all this stuff. And we're like, okay, like, that's great. And we're glad you want to be here. He ended up, he ended up coming to the University of Vermont. That's awesome. And it was great, but it was just, that was probably the most bizarre thing I've had to experience. That's awesome. Uh, little known fact about Andrew Gale, you also serve as a part, a bartender sometimes. Yes. How yes. has your bartending skills helped you in the coaching world? Uh, being able to communicate with people. Um, just being able to um, handle a situation, whether, you know, somebody screws up an order or you make a mistake or somebody doesn't enjoy whatever their experience is, being able to try to communicate to that, that to them problem solving skills and being able to either diffuse conflicts or um, on the positive side, if somebody has a great experience, how to communicate that to them and then try to take away that um, knowledge from that experience and then try to apply it to a different uh, setting in the situation is probably the thing that's uh, 
helped me the most. That's awesome. Yeah. And last one, what is the best advice you've ever gotten? Best advice I ever gotten, hands down. I had a coach uh, come up to me. I've always wanted, my goal is to get back into to the division one level. And sometimes I stress too much about it. And I asked this coach, I said, Hey, like, what advice can you give me to help me get back to that level? And he looked me dead in the eye and he's like, don't ever start thinking about the job that's next. He's like, if you crush the job that you're doing now and you win games and you do the best job you can in the situation you're in now, the rest of it will take care of itself. So instead of focusing on trying to get back to the division one level, why don't you just win as many games as you can at New Hampton? Why don't you help the head coach um, elevate himself to get him a better job so that you can take over? Or why don't you go out and get the recruits to make, you know, to get to the championship game again. So focus on doing the job that you're doing at the moment rather than thinking five years down the line in the future. Love that. Love that. Anytime I ask that question, people know it's like right on the tip of their tongue, man. Like everyone knows what that best advice is and they think about it a lot. So yeah, it's been sitting, it's been sitting there for a long time. And sometimes I even, I even I'm like, Oh, what am I doing? And then I have to pause and be like, all right, remember what coach X said to make sure that you continue to. Well, now you like, can just go back and re-listen to your own podcast and then just, just put it on repeat and then yes. um, just let it play in the background and just let those, let those views and let those plays just count. I need it. I need it. Andrew Gale, that's the three things, man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so or sleep, sleep with it in, right? What's that? Yeah, thank you so much. Well, it's like well, you sleep with it playing while you're sleeping, so it's stuck in your head. I right? mean, I don't do that every night. I don't put my <laughs> on and just let it repeat. I don't do that at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Andrew Gale, I'm sure I will see you. All, you're going back to school when? Sunday night? Yeah, tomorrow night after uh, the UVM Bucknell game. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll be back in two weeks and we'll hang out. Yeah, I yeah. know. You got one's winter break. Uh, 14th. Six. Well, so actually, we play the 14th. So 16th, I'll be back. Nice. I'm sure I'll see you very soon. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Appreciate man. Appreciate it, man. Hi, everyone. It's Casey again. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And I wanted to ask you a huge favor. I don't ask for a lot of favors, but if you could, whatever you're listening to this podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, if you could take a minute and just go write a review, I would really appreciate it. I don't get any bonus points or anything like that for it, but I really think it would help get the word out. And if this podcast has helped you, it might help someone else and it'll do a better job of getting that word out to who might need it.